there's been some pretty <laughs> sketchy shit where I've been like, I get, I get too involved in like the writing aspect and it, and this is not being boastful at all, but there's been plenty of times where like I come up on a rider and I'm like on your left and go around them and they're like, that was just the fucking photographer just passed me. <laughs> and I have to remind myself, like, take it down a notch there. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And Sheldon, today we have a packed episode. Holy cow. We have an interview. We have Collins. We have updates with our Glen Gravel Ramble Gravel Road Ride giveaway. That's a lot of gravel. That's a lot of gravel. <laughs> <laughs> We're also going to talk about a local fundraiser that uh, our local road team put on. We also talk Iceman signups. I talked with Cody Sovis in Kalamazoo at Bells, and uh, it's the beginning of gravel season. And then we we are one week away from the start of gravel. One week away from uh, from gravel season, and also we have a conversation that the two of us have been looking forward to for a long time. Race photographer Rob Mendering. But before we get into all of that, Sheldon, how's your week been in the mid-pack? Non-existent. Non-existent. You've been kind of traveling around a bit, so you it, haven't had a lot of time yeah, I've been bike. very busy, but I, I, uh, I have a bike ready to go. Tomorrow I'm going to head out for a ride. So finally break this streak of non-riding, but uh, I will not be at Waterloo Grit and Gravel next week, but... The two of us will both be at Melting Man. Melting Man is the start of my gravel season, your gravel season as, um. as well. So that's in a couple weeks down in Vandalia, Michigan. Um, I've actually been outside a little bit, um, got off the trainer, and well, actually took a bike outside. You were sick. Then you decided to ride outside. And then I got more sick. <laughs> <laughs> then I got even more sick. <laughs> yeah, I got hit with the flu pretty bad, and... Um, and I thought I was over it, and uh, it, it was a it was beautiful last weekend. So, hashtag bad decisions. Hashtag bad decisions. Um, I went out on Sunday, and then also on Monday. Um, Mark Krantz was in town, so I went riding with him on Monday, and it just made me more sick. <laughs> so, you, he, <laughs> Mark was in town. There, there's for future episodes some. Uh, more sit-down time with Mark Krantz, but uh, how'd your riding go with Mark? It was good. I mean, he is a uh, he's a strong rider for sure. But here, I, I have a I, I have a little issue with. I, I heard you you lost something during your ride. So he came down for his spring break, and uh, he lived. He grew up not too far from uh, where I do a lot of my riding. And he was talking to me, well, one of the things I want to do this spring break is uh, go um, try to get the KOMs on all these segments. And he's talking about, well, there's a segment here, 
there's a Strava segment here. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I have that KOM. And he's like, yeah, I know you do. (laughs) At 24 miles an hour, I can beat it. Like, what? So, basically, Mark spent his spring break uh, just poaching poaching segments. Not just my segments, but other people's segments. And uh, just getting KOMs the whole time. So, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. (laughs) Welcome home. (laughs) Welcome home. No, but really, no, it was was fun. We went out, and uh, he kind of showed me one of his classic routes. And uh, and then we actually sat down and talked about his uh, stage race, his two-day um ride race that he's that he'll put on um in marquette in august but we'll get to that um maybe in a couple weeks so yeah that's a future episode so tune in for uh more mark so also last week our local road team scenario auto lab put on a fundraiser for haven house sheldon what's what's haven house uh haven house is a local organization um helps support women that are trying to get out of domestic abuse situations um great organization in the lansing area and Sonera auto lab team uh, does a fundraiser every year where how many miles are ridden on the trainer by people at lansing brewing company uh raise funds and uh this year i believe they raised around i think it was four thousand dollars yeah it was over four thousand dollars i think they wanted to hit maybe 2500 bucks or something and they they raised 4000 and I know you've done it in the past I've done yep. it in the past yep. um I was sick and I yeah I was out of town um for this one uh you were sick Yeah neither one of us were there this year but a few of our friends were and they called in now they're riding as they're talking and it's a little rough but uh, you kind of get the idea so Let's hear from our friends as they rode at Lansing Brewing Company Hey, Dirty Chain Podcast, Mitch Young here. I'm about three hours into the Haven House fundraiser. Thought we'd give you guys a call and update you on how things are going. We have 40 some odd people here, and we're um, almost to our our team goal of $2,500. And our mileage hasn't been updated for a while, so we're not sure there where we're at there. But having a great time. I'm gonna pass the phone around for a minute. Hey, Dirty Chain, this is Justin Trainer miles are flying by in the group. Uh, it's been awesome. We shouldn't see you guys here. I know you guys have other obligations, but it's awesome. Great vibe. All right, time for the next one. Hey, Justin. Hey, Dirty Chain guys. Sorry that you couldn't make it, but we're riding for charity. All right, well, thanks. We'll talk to you guys later, and hopefully we'll see you in the mid-pack. So the last few weeks, we have been running a a giveaway for the Glen Gravel Ramble out of Elma. Yep, put on by uh, JB. Yep. Um, and uh, quite a few of you entered, and we... Yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of submissions. Um, there were two different ways to do it. Uh, you could either submit a picture of you on a local ride to either our email or direct message or... Um, you could comment on the original post tagging three of your friends and we have a winner. So I wish I had, I don't have a thing to do a drum roll. I have every other, don't, don't hit my microphone like that. <laughs> Did that. I hope it worked, but uh, yeah, I think you broke it. Um, I have every other instrument in this basement, but uh, not a drum, but uh, 
Sheldon, who is our winner? We have a John Akers. Okay. John Akers uh, won, and he has a brand new, I believe it's a Candale Topstone. Oh, okay. Yep. So he's going to be breaking in a entry. new bike uh, this season. Um, Fantastic. He, he, he did the double submission, so he got two entries. He did both tagging three friends, and he submitted pictures and comments about his most recent rides. So congratulations, John. You are our winner, and you have a free entry to whichever distance you want in the Glen Gravel Ramble Gravel, gravel Road Ride. Gravel. Gravel. All the gravel. Gravel, All the gravel, gravel, gravel. Now, gravel, gravel. for those of you that are disappointed that you did not get a free entry, we have another free entry for the Dirty Mitten Gravel Triathlon. Get out the running shoes, people. Yep. And uh, do and some, swimmy. Do can, some can laps. Can we put swimmies on our arms? Is that allowed? Swimmies? Floaties? What is they called? What do they I call those things? That I would call them on? floaties. Is swimmies a thing? I don't know. Okay. Um... <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> we will also be running uh, in the next week or so a giveaway for the Dirty Mitten Triathlon. So stay tuned. Similar rules. Same same rules. Yeah, same rules. Let's yeah. keep it simple. Same yeah. rules. But uh, yeah, we uh, our friends in the last episode, um, John and John, the Johns, the Johns. Not yep. the last episode. Two episodes. A couple ago. episodes ago. Two episodes ago. Yep. Um. We had him on, so make sure you tune in to episode 19 if you don't know what we are talking about. Uh, but the Dirty Mitten is one of three gravel triathlons in the entire United States for 2020. You know, interestingly, uh, since we have released that episode, you know who's interesting, interested in participating in that? Who? Rachel. My wife, Rachel. No kidding. She's been talking about it a bit, and... I don't think she's committed to um, saying that she wants to do it, but uh, she keeps talking about it, so I, I feel like I'm going to sign her up. Yes. Um, it'll be fun. And maybe, maybe... This is like a make or break with your relationship, I feel like. Yeah, it's like a divorce maker. <laughs> I registered you. We're getting a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm thinking it might be interesting to go and... Uh, I don't know. I could help her out and just not race and just uh, experience the race from from that side. But uh, I think it'd be super cool if she did it, for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, what else, Sheldon? Uh, Last week, or actually a couple days ago, we had Iceman sign-ups. Yeah, Iceman. I can't believe it's starting already. I I cannot believe it. It seems seems so soon. Time's flying by. Yep. But uh, I I know that um, uh, a few people could sign up on the computer i'm pretty sure if you did it last year you could yep you could sign up but they have they they hold a couple events um one is in kalamazoo at bell's brewery the other one's at seven monks in traverse city and so i had the day off so i went to kalamazoo to sign up and i ran into cody sovis race director new race director for um for iceman and we chatted briefly so why don't we listen to that i'm sitting here at bell's brewery for the iceman cometh challenge registration the 31st year 2020 and joining me is cody sovis cody um at iceman hq what is your title 
I am the race director, which means I basically walk around and people tell me what they're doing and I go, uh-huh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's basically what I do. Yeah, that works. Um, so I know it's been a few months since November, but I feel like it just happened yesterday. Have you had a little bit of time to uh, process and relax or has it just been uh, um, 100% since November? Uh, people kept asking me if I was glad the Iceman was over and what, uh, as a racer, what I didn't realize is when the race ends, you continue to do Iceman. And then on Sunday morning, we were there at 7.30 to start teardown. And then on Tuesday, we were in Kalkaska to talk with the road commission in the village to talk about what we want to change for 2020 2020. And then on Thursday of that week, we were already talking with USA Cycling. And the Tuesday of the following week, we were talking about a new website. So uh, there's really, there might be pauses in Iceman, but the process to make the race as big as it is and to keep the show uh, kind of the best in the Midwest, it, it never really stops. Uh, one thing I didn't hear there is um, what has your team been doing to ensure that next year isn't such a uh, a muddy mess. Uh, we have ordered 75 degrees and sunny for next year. Oh, perfect. Uh, I will take all the blame for the bad weather. So when I first was approached about the job um, and kind of helping out more with the race, I was joking with Steve Brown, Iceman himself, the founder. Um, you know, obviously, since it's my first year, it's going to be the worst possible weather. And he goes... I'm going to remember that you said that, and you will too. And then sure enough, we got, you know, I think there was some debate about 2014 or, or last year being the worst or the most expensive for repairs or the most challenging for riders, but the metric that we kind of picked on was the amount of extractions that took place, which was uh, all of our wonderful volunteers and our search and rescue team, uh, including uh Steve Brown's wife, Connie Brown, who loaded up the family Subaru and headed out to go help get people, and uh, Michelle Howard, who went out and loaded up her family car and went and rescued people. We had uh, 450 evacs last year, so 400 people, 450 people got out of the woods thanks to the help of a backseat or the bed of a truck, um, and uh, you know everybody was accounted for. There was. Uh, one gentleman that had a little miscommunication with his friends, and I was getting a phone call at 8:30 that night, wondering where he was, which was a little bit of a of a sort of a scary moment. Yeah, but uh, uh, he th- that the lost rider eventually called us back and said, "Oh yeah, I've been at the hotel sleeping for three hours." <laughs> so it all turned out great. Good, good, good. And uh, you mentioned something about a new website is there anything else that's new i know last year the the whole uh start was a was a new addition um is there anything that you can tell us that might be new this coming year uh well the site is kind of a exciting thing for us um it's uh gonna be a lot better suited to really be a tool for people on race day is the the way i'm kind of thinking of it Um, it's going to be kept a little bit more fresh, a little bit more updated. Um, I think the information is going to be a lot easier to access. Uh, that way when you show up, uh, on Friday to get to the expo, 
uh, you show up on race day on Saturday, the things you need to know are going to be really kind of at your fingertips. That's the main idea behind that. Um, as far as the structure of the, the race day or the course itself, we are going to be back at, um, at the airport, which I loved. Uh, a lot of times when you have start venues or finish venues, you're restricted a bit by space with parking and emergency exits and just the sheer volume of people sure. that we experience. Yeah. Um, but with an airport, you can kind of do whatever you want and you still have an entire airport yeah. left to fill up. So uh, it'll definitely be different. It's going to be different every year. Um, that's one of the things that Iceman and, and Steve Brown have always taken a lot of pride in. The reason people come up to pre-ride the course is because there's something different to pre-ride every single year. So, I mean, it was it was literally Saturday night. I already had, I was already making plans for the route next year. It, it was September of last year that I was already thinking about this year. My whole thing is the Iceman race is going to suit somebody different every single year. Last year was a year, I think, for the climbers. I think that would have been more the case if we didn't have such bad conditions right. adding all that elevation in the last five miles of the course i think would have had more of an impact if more people would have gotten there with a full cassette of working gears to work with <laughs> right um but i think for you know that was the climbers year we're due for a sprinters year this is uh mm -hmm. uh i have a twin brother who i'm a lot of people have probably met wes and wes is uh Wes is more of a he's a roller roller these days um, and uh, the first time we rode the course together he swore at me for a good 45 minutes and I and that was in August last year so I started to promise like Wes next year is going to be flat everybody's going to come into Timber Ridge at 25 miles an hour don't worry so the whole idea is it's going to be different every year there's going to be years you really enjoy there's going to be years that feel tougher they suit different people yeah. um and the, that's kind of the whole point of it right yeah it's different and in the whole the whole idea of planning your success or failure of of your race based on your previous year i want to get that completely out of people's minds we got to get don't base anything on last year's time because this is a different event every year yeah fantastic well we certainly look forward to it i look forward to it and uh and then i'm sure we'll be talking more as the date gets closer so thank you very much cody and uh we'll see you in november absolutely thanks man so trevor that that was a uh definitely going to be our intro into more episodes of Iceman coverage. I think anybody that listened to the podcast in 2019 knows that Iceman got a fair bit of a focus towards the end of the season, but uh, we will definitely be meeting back up with Cody later this summer, maybe do a little course preview, sit down um, at one of our favorite places up in Traverse City. That, that brew. Or, yeah, brew. Yep. Love brew. Coffee yeah. and beer. What else do you need in life? So, yeah, just talking to Cody briefly, I realized that we need to have a proper full-on um, full interview with him. He's an interesting guy and uh, can talk Traverse City, talk Iceman. But uh, thank you, Cody, and uh, we look forward to seeing you later this summer. Yep. Both of us. If you have done a gravel race or mountain bike race in the state of Michigan, 
the chances of you being captured on this photographer's camera is almost 100%. Rob Mindering has been a staple of the gravel community here in Michigan for the last few years, and he is at every major event. And if you are racing it or riding it or just... If your dog's there, <laughs> chances are Rob has your picture on his website. Rob was uh, nice enough to come to Lansing, bring us some beers, and he talks about his transition from from a cyclist to starting to take photos and becoming a full-on race photographer. Say cheese. Here's Rob Mandering. This is my uh, this is my first interview, my first podcast. That's awesome. Like, yeah. Really? Yeah. It's well, funny I took that back. I did a brief interview on like Wood TV eight last year for helping a guy out with a some guy that's riding his bike across the country to uh-huh. raise awareness for PTSD and Okay. Um so we hooked him up with a wheel at GRBC. Was that the guy yeah. riding from like California? I forget where he was coming from, but he was okay. all over the place. But yeah, it's like ride with Dan, and so that was my first time actually being interviewed, and it was really awkward at, at the <laughs> shop. Yeah, <laughs> but that was like full like camera in my face and everything. So yeah, um, it was it was actually really early in our organizing the podcast that it was actually Rachel. She's like, "You guys need to have Rob on," and as soon as she <laughs> said it, it just clicked. Like, because yeah. you, you you're so like integral in every gravel race essentially any of the big ones in michigan you're there you're <laughs> out there with your camera everybody knows you but it's like i don't think anybody's heard your voice they just see the visual i mean unless unless yeah. they're like close friends with you or yeah. you know and uh, comments on facebook i mean sure but i don't think anybody's actually heard heard from rob well it's <laughs> it is interesting too because the the like a, a race photographer is such a um a common thing it doesn't matter where it is you know it's not not just a mission i mean so i'm sure like people are you know they experience their races or re-experience their races through the photography i, mean, I think about how many people's profile pictures you took <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean yeah that was i think it was uh i think it was brian do who uh <laughs> said after <laughs> after a race on a monday he said I'm getting y'all stoked for uh, for Mendering Mondays and seeing everyone's profile pictures change. And do you um, see your your website's profile hit or like clicks on like? Oh yeah, the, you're like the your Monday stats. following a Friday. Can you get the stats oh. and just see like this? Like, because I know I'll sit. Up, I'll be at work a Monday after a race, and I'm just like hitting refresh on your website. I'm like, <laughs> are they up yet? Are they up yet? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's a way for me to see that, but to be honest, it, I you just I, I don't ever gloss check it by. You know, and I, I'm not the most like techie guy in the world okay so like i said i'm sure there's a feature on my website somewhere so i can track that like the traffic after but i've never done it i bet it just is this huge spike <laughs> I mean, but yeah your turnaround is like crazy fast though i mean it, like like a dump of a thousand photos or something and you turn it around in a couple days that's one thing i learned early on is just trying to get it because people ride that high only so long after a race mm-hmm. um so like I I try everything to get it out there like Monday like when people are taking their 10 a.m. coffee break at work I want to have start my, my photos there um, and it is tough for especially for bigger races like Iceman and Barry Roubaix 
where it's you know anywhere between four and eight thousand photos that I have to Jeez. go through and edit. Um, but yeah. <laughs> now, with your uh, watermark, do you have to go photo by photo, or do you have a program that kind of just drops your watermark right away? So for those, I just do. Um, the only thing I put my watermark on is when I do my highlight reel, mm-hmm. which is only like usually twenty or thirty image images. Um, oh, okay. So those are the only ones that I watermark, and I do it individually. Okay. But I actually go through, and back to the fact that I'm not the most technical guy in the world. Um, a lot of photographers cringe when they hear my process because um, I do. I mean, there's a thing called batch editing where you can put your settings in and like just have it apply to all your images. I actually go through every image individually, and uh, and just I don't want pictures out there of people with snot running down their face or like just an awful look on their do you, face. Do you at least save those? No, no, they're you, gone. I, oh. <laughs> I, I, I respect two, the subject. <laughs> two, two separate folders be like the ones people are going to want as their profile picture and the ones that tell the true story of the do, race. Do a highlight reel and a low light reel? Yes. I mean, we, we kind of do the same th- or We've thought about the same thing with like some of the conversations that we'll have. And be like, eh, that's not quite podcast material. Especially but the ones when like it gets a few beers too deep. Oh, yeah. When, oh, when yeah. we did our recap one, we talked for like four hours. The episode's an hour long. Part of me was like, do I do I hold on to this for like a blooper reel or is this incriminating in in a few <laughs> years and I just delete like a, like a full delete. The four of us ended up he had his bike on the trainer wearing socks on SPD pedals trying to see who can put out the most watts and our we're calling it sock watts and we're just drunk on this bike at like <laughs> eleven o'clock at night cranking on these pedals and of course like the next day all of our feet yeah, like the bruised <laughs> i was like can we not do that today oh that, that's like our new guest thing i thought oh. yeah yeah oh. Oh. i feel <laughs> like you could put out a lot of sock watts uh, after a few beers i'm known to put out a few extra watts <laughs> my uh my, my teammates used to always make fun of me we'd be riding home from founders and like during the actual training ride i'd be getting my ass kicked and then go to founders have a few beers and a big sandwich and then I drop everyone. In the <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it's that beer FTP. Yeah. Like I at mean, one it's point, everything. somebody uh, coined the term like three beer hincappy. <laughs> <laughs> so, what came first for you, the photography or the cycling? Uh, cycling. Cycling. Yeah, uh, I've I started cycling a little over, like maybe twelve years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, just I never thought. I would actually be a cyclist. I just bought a bike just to tool around on and um, just started meeting people and started going to events. And I remember riding at Yankee my first time and taking like three hours to do a lap and coming back <laughs> bloodied and bruised and just saying, that was a lot of fucking fun. Yes. Did you start uh, mountain biking then? Was that your, your first bike was a mountain bike? Yeah, my first bike was a mountain bike. And it was kind of funny. My My wife and I our late 20s, early 30s, decided that, you know, a, a pack of cigarettes a day and getting brown out every other day was not the healthiest lifestyle. So um, we uh, we decided she's she was a swimmer in high school, and she's always been a runner. And I started running with her, and I also started cycling a bit, and we just decided kind of on a whim to uh, take part in a triathlon up north. God, it always starts with triathlons. <laughs> no, and it, it, it always. I feel like the triathlon is like one. It's the gateway, but it's always the people that start with triathlons had the unhealthy habits. I chewed for ten years, yada, and I was like, I'm done. 
not, I'm, you know, I quit and I started with tries. And I, I hear your story. I hear a lot of people like, I mean, it's, you it's could run a, a 5K or something. Why do you have to jump into a triathlon? <laughs> okay, so we, we can back up just a touch. We did run a few 5Ks and a couple 10Ks here and there. Okay. Um, and then just, yeah, we did, a, we did a triathlon. And I just immediately after training for that, and it sounds badass to say triathlon, but we just did like sport and maybe like one Olympic triathlon. So we weren't doing like full triathlons. Yeah, jump in with nothing the 140 no. point whatever. No, screw that. Uh, so I just kind of gravitated to um to the bike i loved it i loved being on the bike um my wife loved to run and uh and so yeah i just started cycling and then i think what really like kicked off the cycling was when i got my first road bike i've always enjoyed mountain biking but when my my road bike was my first kind of like real bike and uh just started doing group rides with um, the guys at founders on tuesday nights and just fell in love with the uh so you started in the Grand Rapids area yeah. with all this? Is that where you kind of originate from? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah okay. I pretty much lived in and around Grand Rapids my entire life, with the exception of a, a few weird years where I traveled west and did some exploring. But other than that, it's been everyone needs Grand those Rapids. years, <laughs> the yeah. weird years. I, just, well, I did that. <laughs> Grew up in Michigan, went to Colorado, then went to Maine, came back here, and been here ever since. Yeah, yeah I lived in California for a couple of years, um, and then came back briefly, and then. I just, for some reason, I hated Grand Rapids, and it's changed a lot, and I love it now. But back then, I just I thought any place else would be better. So I just drove around aimlessly for a year, living out of my truck, trying to figure out where I wanted to live. Did you and have the van yet? No. Oh. oh, man. I probably wouldn't be here right now. I'd probably be in the mountains somewhere, a recluse. But, uh, but I just had a little Ford Ranger pickup truck I basically lived in for a year dr- driving around thinking there's got to be a better place in Grand Rapids and although there's some amazing places out there I just I fucking love Grand Rapids Grand Rapids is amazing I mean ev- whenever we're out in that area yeah, it's like, love it. it's, it's tough to come back <laughs> so you start road uh so you started road biking with some people that found like the crew at Founders or whatever and then um did you start racing and yeah and it's kind of funny I've always been a bit better at road than mountain biking but i just kind of uh i I got hooked up with the founders team and uh you know they're a mountain bike team and so i did a lot of mountain bike races um i used to do probably damn near 10 a year um which i say a lot some people do way more than that but were you doing um, like the cps and yeah i would do you know the like yankee um iceman of course and a lot of the gravel races come at Barrier Bay. I remember doing Barrier Bay when it was just, you know, not even a hundred guys and getting together at Long Lake, and, and yeah, yeah, um, and it was more of just like a group ride than an actual race. And now it's now it's I'm, I'm really envious of people that have got to watch the change. So last year was my first Barrier Bay ever. Right. Um, I got into gravel pretty late, and now I don't even want to touch road bikes anymore. But uh, yeah, talking to you and like Matt and uh, Jenny and talking about how barry has changed over the years i mean it's it, it's kind of wild to go from like the, when they had the shelter out by the lake and people everyone's on a mountain bike and now it's now you have pro <laughs> teams not just pro riders pro teams showing up yeah and 3500 racers it's the same same way with Iceman too i mean Iceman was just such like a I, uh, not necessarily a local race but it, it's not 
as big as it definitely wasn't as big as it is now or has been in the past few years but yeah ice man's just i mean since like i said i've only been you know 10 12 years i've been cycling and ice man's just always been a big deal Mm -hmm. but definitely barry roubaix hasn't and and just seeing that happen i don't know of any other race that i've been involved in i've i've seen like escalate as quickly as barry roubaix has it's pretty wild yeah and even my um in my in my travels, uh, visiting bike shops for Velocity over the years, I'm walking in and the conversation a lot of times turns to Barry when we start talking about races, and you know if they if they you know connect the dots on who I am and they're like, oh, you're the guy that took that Dust Bowl picture at Barry Roubaix. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like one of the images, I guess, that uh, has has really. Uh, resonated with folks. Yeah, that uh, that picture. Speaking of, I was looking in this book, Celine Yeager's oh, yeah. book. Yeah, and it's like right at, isn't it? Right at the beginning. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, inside. Wait, do you have one of your pictures in there? Yeah, maybe inside cover, one of the first. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the wheels from coast to coast. Uh, I think no two kidding. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I have a small collection. Anytime a, a publication like that um, purchases an image from me, I one of my stipulations is they have to send it to me. So I have like a little keepsake. So I have a, a random drawer in my living room that has like five books in it. That's that, that, That's cool. So when did photography come into your cycling? Um, I think it was. I was trying to do like the timeline on my way here. I'm like, <laughs> I knew. I know they're going to ask me that. <laughs> um, it was. I want to say about seven, maybe eight years ago. Um, I just uh, I, I got my first kind of entry level camera, and I, I really just wanted to. Um, take photos of my wife running um and my my sister also was a runner so they would do events and i would go and, and watch and i just thought oh it'd be really cool if i had a camera and, and then i could take it to races with me and and so it just started with i would go you know i would go race yankee or race Iceman or race barry and then go to my car and grab my camera gear and get back on my bike and go back out on course and try to get pictures of people that i knew um, that's awesome and then uh yeah people just kind of started um sharing them and liking them and it turned into a monster <laughs> <laughs> then the camera getting started getting stuck in people's faces and, <laughs> yeah. i mean that that's the one thing i love about your photography is you can go to you know i've, I've done races all over the place and it's hard to see a difference in a lot of when it comes to the race photography styles you definitely have a style. One, I guarantee there's guaranteed going to be a dog picture with its nose <laughs> being 80% of the picture, which I absolutely love. I'm a huge dog person. But then also is, especially Iceman, those when they're coming up heartbreak and you just have that camera. Or is that wood chip? Uh, I can never keep I think that's straight. heartbreak. I think that's the very last one. I yeah, think. I, think, I think I've on social media called it as wood chip. It, it might be heartbreak. I I, I don't really know. I thought it was wood chip. But maybe it I is don't wood. know. But yeah, yeah that, I mean, you don't even have to have your watermark. Everybody that's a cyclist <laughs> in the Midwest, and I mean, even probably some of the bigger names that mountain bike, uh, Iceman, you see that picture and you know Rob took it. <laughs> so there there was was there an obvious transition from I am racing these races and I'm also going to shoot some pictures to. I'm going to shoot this race and not going to race. Um, how, how did that, was that just like a, a, a slow process or was it like one year you're like, I'm not racing this year? 
Um, it was not a slow process by any means. It it really just started with um, race promoters starting to contact me and saying, mm. hey, we want you to come shoot our race um, in its entirety. And it was super exciting at first. I think... What was um, your first one? I think one of my first official hired gigs was uh, Tad Peacock um, called me up and asked me to shoot both Arcadia Grit and Gravel and Peak to Peak. Okay. Um, and Arcadia is just, what an incredible, like, under-the-radar race for the most part because that trail is beautiful. The trilliums are always popping, and it's just a lot of fun. And I think that was the, the first one where um, he said, yeah, I want you to be the, the official photographer. And then shortly after that, um, Rick Plight, Scott Tenkate, reached out and said, you know, we want you to shoot Barrier Bay and Lumberjack. Um, and now um, Fargo Sub 48 as well. And that was, especially Barry Rupe was one where I was excited that they asked me to, to shoot the race, but it was very bittersweet because it was always my favorite race. Sure. <laughs> like, and so that's kind of when I d decided, like, oh, I could go out there on my bike so I can still get that experience. And I'd even, like, ride with groups with my camera gear and, like, ride along and just, like, hold the camera behind me and like shoot people behind me and you know just riding along and still having that kind of race experience but also being out there getting getting shots now that you've done it for a few years uh do you look at the experience you're having now as uh just a whole different one or i mean it's you're not experiencing it the same way as when you used to race it but it's almost like you see it in a whole different way you see more of the people than anyone else uh does and yeah because we go out and if you're racing you might be with the same group start to finish so you really yeah. only seen 25 30 people the entire time you're seeing everybody you're so, seeing yeah. the people having great days you're, having, you're seeing people <laughs> yeah. that have terrible days so when i when i started um because i'd always be moving I, I realized you know being one person and moving around a lot you're not going to get everyone like the only way you can be assured that you're going to get a shot of everyone is if you stay in one spot yeah but i don't want to be that guy yeah i don't want to sit in one i, I want to move around i want to get shots from different areas on the course so that's what I always tell race promoters. I'm like, hey, we want you to come out and shoot this. Like, I can do that, but I'm not going to sit at the finish line. I'm not going to sit in one area. So the chances of me getting a shot of everyone is is very slim. But I've, I guess over the years, gradually moved around less on the course um, in hopes of getting everyone. And that's kind of uh, a reaction to people like sending me messages, being like, oh, I did peak to peak and i don't see my photo in here just like damn it <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah i mean that kind of you probably have more of an insider's knowledge of most of these courses just from moving around and kind of scoping the do you go out and kind of check out the course beforehand this is a question i had like is it exa exactly what you're asking um do you have a plan before or do you go out there 20 minutes before and be like, hey, this, this, this place works? I mean, I'm sure depending on the time of year and uh, the foliage or whatever, it, it, you could have a whole different shot. Um, and what worked last year may not work this year. Um, so how do, you, how do you decide where you're going to shoot? That's one advantage of uh, having raced a lot of these courses myself is 
knowing the course and knowing where you know the good spots are and i do go out occasionally um and kind of scout locations just for that reason like you said for like lighting and um figuring out where the sun's going to be and um but really it's just i just go out there it seems most of the time i put together a plan the day before or the morning of it goes to shit anyways and I don't stick to it. I so just it's end just up like doing racing. My own thing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, there, I think, are a lot of I mean, a lot of parallels. I, it's, I, it doesn't require the training. It's not as badass as going out there and, and winning a race. But I get nervous before a race, um, getting my gear together and being like, oh, oh shit, I hope I didn't forget anything, or I hope you know when I go out trying to find this point on the course, I don't get lost and miss everybody. Like, that's always my biggest nightmare. And I actually have had nightmares the night before a race where I go out there and, like, I missed the whole race. Everybody already went by. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, yeah, there definitely is an advantage to knowing the course, I say, more so than anything. Yeah. Than, than prepping. Um, and that's also, you know, when you're talking about those shots up Woodchip Hill or whatever damn hill it is, um, is – Again, being a cyclist, knowing what, being able to anticipate where the rider's going to be, where the emotions um, are going to be, yeah, and and also like what line they're going to take because a lot of those big wide angle shots, my camera is at times six to eight inches from the front tire, so it's knowing that and trusting that they're not going to change their line at the last second, and knowing like okay, this is where they're going to want to go and. Um, and positioning myself. I mean, the, just the, in the, right the place. picture of Alexi coming up the hill that you got of him this year, <laughs> and just the emotion on his face was. Man. I mean that that just encapsulated the entire day right and, there. And Sheldon, you you mentioned this that when you see a photo by Rob, you know it's a photo by Rob. And I think I mean I attribute it to the fact that you are a cyclist. And then also, as you're talking about this, it sounds like it's it's a lot of instinct. Um, you, I mean, you, you're saying you didn't start, um, really shooting until like a few years ago. Did you take any formal training or is it just, oh, I've just figured out what works along the way. So exactly. So it's, it sounds like you're, you're rolling purely by instinct and you have a good, a good eye and a good instinct and, and help it helps and that's that you're what a cyclist. Gives you those signature photos is, you know. There's, I'm sure, the vast majority of photographers that you see at a 5K or a marathon or whatever, they're there because they were a photographer and they found a niche to get a paycheck. You came in from a cyclist standpoint and then came in to photography. So you kind of have the rider's insight and, like you said, the course knowledge, the taking the line. I mean, I bet a lot of... Sp- uh, photographers if they're just a, a gallery photographer that's been asked to show up to a race they're not going to understand even what taking the line is <laughs> like they'd be like that is a good question though do, do you know like other photographers that go to different races are they mainly photographers first or a lot of them are cyclists or enthusiasts that that like to shoot i'm not sure i really know of any any cyclists that have like me all but retired from cycling to pursue photography i don't and i'm just going off of my knowledge of you know local photographers people that when i first started cycling like uh, of course jack coonan or um you know back then julie mcgraw was doing a lot of shooting and um both people that really helped me out in the beginning 
um, but neither of whom really have. I mean, Jack is a cyclist, and, and I think he's been riding a lot more lately. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know if he has, like, a, a actual cycling background. So I don't know of anybody else that made the transition like that. Did you experience a pretty large learning curve as you were doing this, or did you just kind of fall into it pretty quickly and, and feel pretty comfortable? Um, it was pretty quick. And like I said, early on, I didn't want to be the guy that just, you know, sat in one spot. I wanted to move around. And, um, and I found that because I think partially because I, I knew so many of the, the racers out there, just getting reactions from them while I'm out there shooting and them either, you know, having the ride of their life and, you know, giving me a big thumbs up and a smile or whatever, doing something goofy, um, or like being deep in the pain cave and just being relieved to see somebody out in the middle of the woods. Um, I think that kind of is what adds to, um, I guess, I guess my photography being different than, than others. Um, when you're interactive in the community, you're on social media, you're commenting and riders as they come up to you on course, everyone knows who you are. You're not just the guy (laughs) with the camera, you're Rob. I mean, it's every, you go to other races and it's, you'll see the photographer, you might wave at him. I don't know who they are. And I've never probably talked to him on Facebook or Instagram where, I mean, you're in the comments section talking, bantering, all that good stuff. Well, yeah, and yeah, you're you're so, definitely a part of the community. And that's, I think it shows in, um, like you said, the way people react to um, you on the course. And then also just the, um, I don't know, like the eye you have and how you approach approach the, the race itself. Um, when you are moving around on the course, do you have to think, you're not taking the actual course are you or like to get out to your initial spot do you like leave 15 minutes beforehand or how how does that how yeah does a, lot that... Of, a lot of times i've actually i take the course um unless i really know like shortcuts throughout the course which is rarely the occasion most of the time i just know the course so um i will just i'll, I'll get shots at the start and then if it's you know multi-lap format i'll wait for the first wave to go through and then a lot of times hop on my bike and ride out to a point or been doing a lot of hiking lately been doing more by foot and that part of that is um not wanting to put my equipment at risk <laughs> there's been some pretty sketchy shit where i've been like i get i get too involved in like the riding aspect and it, and this is not being boastful at all but there's been plenty of times where like i come up on a rider and i'm like on your left and go around them and they're like that was just the fucking photographer. Just passed me. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to remind myself, like, take it down a notch there. See, that's like, the thing you need to do. Start doing the passing photos. Have that in there. Like, <laughs> you really want to rub a little salt in them. You're like, oh yeah, the photographer went by, took a passing photo on your left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this folder is called "All the Riders I Passed." <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not a lot. <laughs> but uh, do uh, when you're riding on the course for for these and you know, going location to location, do you usually choose your fat tire? Do you, your, what's your bike of preference for photography? Um, <laughs> I would question. ask camera, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go with what I know, the bike. Uh, so, yeah, lately it's been my um, – so I got that – you've probably seen that bear claw, yep. uh, Frank, I have. Um, and it's just so versatile. And, it you know, having that wider footprint, first of all, adds a bit of stability. Because I am a horrible mountain biker. I'm, I'm one of the worst mountain bikers you've ever seen. Um, 
and uh so having that stability hence the, hence the hiking <laughs> yeah 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 um and, and, you know in the summertime i'll throw like some uh you know a set of dualies on there with like three inch tires um which is a, is a great setup for you know summer setup for a fat bike um so yeah that's that's pretty much been my go-to lately before that it was just you know whatever mountain bike I, how long have you had I, your bear claw for um year and a half or so i'm horrible with timelines did, did, did chet deliver it in person <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, write I, it down i went and picked it up from chet personally and i just missed him but he autographed a baseball card for me and he said really burns nice. on like the seat or anything um <laughs> possibly i don't know if it's from him or me i quit long ago so um i gotta know there's there's got to be a lot of different stories as you're shooting thousands of people at barrier bay or hundreds of people at a different race um does anything stand out as one of your favorite moments um there's there's many um there's just there's a ton of like really cool for me it's the the really epic long distance races and seeing somebody whom has never attempted such an undertaking before never ridden near the distance and seeing them out there pushing themselves and there's a lot of times where i think they're just happy to see me out there in the middle of nowhere uh for instance the crusher um is one and in coast to coast as well I've, I've had really cool experiences where somebody will just stop and sit and talk to me because they're like man i've been out in the middle of no man's land for like three hours <laughs> i haven't seen a and, soul <laughs> and I'm, I'm yeah i'm so happy to see you and this is my first i've never ridden more than you know there was a guy at coast to coast who stopped and talked he's like I've only ridden 80 miles before this. Oh my god! <laughs> on pavement, and, oh. and he's doing 210 miles across the state, and I'm just—I mean, that kind of shit really gets me, you know. Like, just seeing people going way above and beyond what even they thought would ever be possible. They see you; they know they're still on course. They're like, "Oh yes, I'm <laughs> yeah. not lost." Yeah. Uh, that that and I'm more of a, a, a comical note is the amount of times people have thought I was a bear. <laughs> what? Oh, it happens all the time. Really? I mean, a lot of times I'm. Well, stop I'm, wearing I'm a bear suit. Yeah, on, dude. <laughs> I've thought about getting one. Um, you know, a lot of times I'm dressed all in black, and you know, I'm six foot five, and I'm out there like crouched down on the side of the trail. <laughs> and you just see you, see you off to the side. You don't, you're not. Yeah, at uh, at the Crusher s- last year, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Matt Graves and a couple other guys. They crested this hill, and I was on the side of the trail. You know, crouched underneath the tree, um, just waiting for them to come up t- to crest the hill and take pictures. And I could just hear the disc brakes lock up. Like, oh my God, that's a bear. Yeah, you guys see that? That's a bear up there. And they're sitting there looking at me. And they're, and they're, you could see them kind of doing the head bob left and right. Like, what's he doing? Is he taking a shit? What's he doing? <laughs> And I, I could hear all this. I mean, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, it's, it's, it's funny how much you can hear. I mean, sound travels so well. Um, so, you know, I can hear all this. So I, I let it go for, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds. Are you, sh- and, are you shooting at this time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and finally I just go, hey, guys, not a bear. <laughs> just, One of these years you're going to bear sprayed. <laughs> hear them go, the bear can talk. <laughs> So there, there's one probably big pressing question, and this is one we really can't miss. What did you bring with you here tonight? Beer? Yeah, let's talk the beer. Oh, yeah, let's talk the uh, beer. We, we really usually we don't get halfway through our interview before well, we, we start just talking. Start with the beer, but <laughs> we, like we, we just started talking. We just started talking tonight. Yeah, 
Uh, so beer, I brought um, a lot of Black Rocks. I actually yeah. just came. You were uh, just up there, right? Yeah, I just came back from there, and uh, I always make sure to stop and visit those guys. Anytime I go to Marquette, it's kind of a tradition now. doesn't matter what I have going on. My first stop, I don't stop at my, my cabin or anything else. I just go straight to Black Rocks and get beer. And it's a bunch of really good dudes. Um, a lot of you know pretty close friends of mine that, that work there are regulars there. You're so, sporting um, the hat, too. You're brand correct. So. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, so I stocked up on my way back at I. So you got the coconut brown, Sheldon. Yeah, you're drinking I'm this drinking coconut, coconut brown. So I love this coconut brown. It's always been one I don't that think I really I've enjoyed. had it. And I so what you're having? I've kind of been drifting away from the IPAs a little bit lately. I don't know. I kind of was getting a little hopped out. That my kiss IPA though. Oh, it's fantastic! Is amazing. Yeah, I mean it's. That's why I grabbed it. That's it one so that kind of like. I, I kind of was going back more to the malty stuff and some of the sours and just kind of getting away from hops. And then Brett brought my Kiss IPA that one time. Yep. And I was like, I'm not really feeling hops anymore. And he goes, well, try this one. I had a sip of it. I was like, oh, that brought me back. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it is fantastic. And it, I'm kind of the same way where, you know, it used to be more hops, the better. Yeah, it was you like know? torpedo. Yeah, like, yeah. I want that Imperial. Double IPA, Imperial IPAs were like all I wanted to drink. Um and you know, really, just uh, I don't know if I if I should say this out loud, but I've been cutting way back on the beer. Um, we can edit uh, that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, we don't want people to judge you. So, <laughs> you know, substituting with things like red wine, but uh, but I've photography. So, semi-retiring from cycling and taking up photography, and turning forty. Uh, there's been weird things happening um, <laughs> with my body. You want to you want to be specific? I like. So, uh, so the lots yeah. per kilogram kind of changed a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird how that happens. Um, but no, I I love everything from Black Rocks. But yeah, the My Kiss is fantastic. Uh, you know, fifty one k too. Yep. Some of the fifty one k from the source. It's like spring water when you go when you go up to the brewery, really? and, and you get it from there. It just it's fantastic. I've never. Have you been to Black I have, Rocks? I have not been. To Black I have not Rocks. been to Black Rocks. But uh, all right, interview's over. Oh, but I. I mean, we're going to Marquette. We'll be up there. Yeah, yeah. right now. Jump <laughs> so, in the car. So we're both going to be at Crusher. Yeah. Okay. Um. Are you going up this year? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to make like a trip out of it. Are you doing coast to coast too? Yep. So yeah, we'll. You'll. You might catch one of us in one of our like worst moments. <laughs> I can't wait. Maybe both. Probably both <laughs> I, races. I, I'm really good at making bad decisions, so we'll see uh, how I go into these races. The, you know, they're both incredible um, for completely different reasons. Uh, the Crusher. I, I don't know how nobody has taken a shot at Todd Poquette yet um, because of the shit he puts people through. It's. I feel like people take a shot at Todd the, we take a shot at Todd every single time we do a podcast so. I think it means taking a swing at him oh taking a swing yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, I, or, no. or literally trying to take him out oh, okay. uh, because of what he, he puts people through I mean the, not to downplay coast to coast at all because that's that's an incredible feat in itself but um, you know Mark Van Tongeren doesn't I don't think um, intentionally tries to make people cry um, and Acker puts together a pretty fantastic round and there's some you know, sandy sections, whatever, but nothing like the crusher and what you 
what you go through up there. Oh, well, after Sancho, I wanted to burn down Einstein cycle. <laughs> after all that sand, I was like, I'm just burning this place down. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting that one this year as well. It's, oh, you are? be my first dive. Yeah. That, so looking oh, so forward there to are it. some sand. You want to watch people just falling apart? That's a good one. <laughs> oh, there's a, uh, uh, there's four aid stations over the 200 miles and there's one right at 75 and I got there and I, I asked the guy, I was like, how much sand's left? And he goes, sand's done. It's clear shot from here. I made it three miles, turned seven miles. I s- picked my bike up over my head, threw it in a bush, started <laughs> screaming. Nobody's around. Walked over, picked my bike back up, and kept riding. But I was so mad. <laughs> so who'd you ask? I don't even know who it was. See, a lot of people make the foolish error of asking me about what's next or how much <laughs> further. And, I mean, first of all, my orientation when I'm out there isn't the greatest. <laughs> But I know I have to tell them something, but I'll just make something up. Do you try you know, to say positive, or do you um, give them a little bit of hope? What's your What's your go to? Who it is? What's coming up? Dragons. Uh, <laughs> Dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are alligator pits. There's. A- don't worry, it's all uphill from here. Um, but no, a lot of times people are asking me like, "How much further?" And I have no clue. And this might be really evil of me, but I'll just pull a number out of my ass. <laughs> Um, let's be like, oh, around the corner and uh, half a mile up, you're done. And it turns out there's like five miles left, <laughs> oh, you know. And then after the race, they're like, man, why'd you tell me that? I'm like, why'd you ask the photographer? <laughs> I started my sprint early. It's like, oh, that was a bad idea. You know, even uh, uh, even the uh, the like the lead guys, um, you know, will either ask me like, like how gaps much, and yeah, stuff. how much of a gap the, yeah. the, the next guy has, and I don't like timelines of like when i'm doing that it could have been three minutes or 30 seconds like i i have no idea i'm, I'm not thinking about that kind of shit um so I'll, again i'll just pull something out of my ass and i'll be like oh he's only got two minutes on you and just like watch all of their hopes and dreams <laughs> just drop um <clears throat> or you know uh sometimes if i do have an idea and it's somebody i know that i want to do well i'll you know sometimes i'll bullshit the other way and i'll say oh man he's only 10 seconds up you can catch them. Get that push. You know? Get yeah. that little bit going. Yeah. So one of the big reasons that we wanted to start the podcast is I think there's a lot of individual stories, um, especially in Michigan, but just in our community that people just don't hear. And there's so many individuals and so many unique stories about cycling and these races. And I wonder as you are taking these photos do you see yourself as a storyteller or just or like capturing a moment that is something i always strive to do is kind of tell the story of the race and that was my approach since day one um is not necessarily to get a picture and this goes back to the you know the moving around and knowing the course um and just kind of hoping everything falls together but i i do try to tell the story of the race um and you know, trying to capture more, I guess, emotion. So I would never claim to be like the most polished photographer by any means. I'm, first of all, I'm not technical. Um, there's photographers out there that do more, I guess what they call fine art photography where, you know, everything is composed just perfectly and it's, you know, it's a beautiful shot and that's not me. Um, I, I, I don't do fine art and I, I just try to put myself right into the mix um and just try to capture emotion 
Yeah, that's great. One specific photo I'm thinking of, and it's a recent one, and it's one you you share every once in a while, but it's uh, from last year's Lord of the Springs. It's that guy, Ed Noig. <laughs> it's yeah. so, you were, you just grabbed that perfectly. <laughs> but I pretty, did you put a caption like, uh, you didn't get that, did you? You're like, nope. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, no, he said, uh, he said, you didn't get that, did you? And I said, sorry, bud, you just made the highlight real. <laughs> um, yeah, it, and that, and that, again, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, I, I know those trails fairly well. And as I was, as I was riding back there, um, you come around this corner and it was uphill. You couldn't carry a lot of momentum or speed up. And there was one particular pretty big rut. Um, and, and I rode over it and I remember like my front tire, like luckily I was on my Frank, uh, because it didn't want to roll over it, took uh-huh. a little extra effort. And I'm like, there's going to be some people eating shit right here. <laughs> and I want to catch it. So, And you, and you did. It's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, you know, I feel really bad. There's only one time I can remember getting a picture of somebody crashing where they, like, actually, I guess twice. They're both teammates of mine. I might be cursed. Um, <laughs> where they got hurt, like, pretty significantly don't join team spin (laughs) yeah don't join our team yeah (laughs) stay away from our team in in that case did you uh i don't know i assume like did you call someone or help them out Uh, luckily both um there was plenty of people around one was a um a teammate of mine brad bacon um and this goes back to the early days of me shooting stuff cannonsburg had a i forget what they call like the two by four fatty fatty two by four downhill race in the winter so you're racing down the ski slope on a bike and at the end there was like a tabletop so you're screaming down you hit this tabletop and brad had never ridden a fat bike before and he hasn't (laughs) ridden one since he says they're stupid but he went um he went right over the handlebars um and just landed on his hands and snapped his wrist um so that was pretty gnarly. And then uh, another time was at a cross race. So again, a lot of people around, but it was a teammate of mine, Tom. And uh, I was really fucking stupid. Uh, Jeff Jacoby was in front of him and Jacoby comes around a corner, sees me. So he, he does a wheelie for the camera because he's a showboating son of a bitch. <laughs> um, and Tom was right behind him and Tom sees this. He's like, oh, I can do that too. And I think if I recall correctly, Tom had a fresh set of cleats and he went to do a wheelie for the camera as well and started to tip over and couldn't unclip <laughs> and horribly broke his lower leg actually in a very oh. similar fashion as to what i did three and a half years ago um oh. and it was where like everyone's kind of laughing and i look over and he's laying on his back and he has his leg propped up on his knee and I walk up and you could kind of see like something wasn't right. And there was like some skin bunched up, uh, almost looked like a sock. Uh, uh, oh, no. And he just goes, oh, I broke my fucking leg, man. I looked down and I saw it and just kind of held like the vomit for a second. I was like, I'll, I'll go get help. <laughs> and so I rode back to the finish and, and uh, let, oh. let Rick Plight know. Like, and yeah, he had to be carted off in an ambulance. It was a. It was a horrible break. Oof. Was that a cross country or a cyclocross race? Yeah, a cyclocross race. Did you yeah. break your leg on a? Was it a cycling accident? <laughs> it was stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I was just on kind of a fun uh, team ride heading back to Founders, and there's a particular section 
just before you get to founders where we duck under the highway and um go across some railroad tracks and it's a raised track and something we had done a thousand times i mean every time i would go to a team ride i would throw my bike on my shoulder and do a cyclocross mountain dismount hop over hop back on yeah. no problem uh this particular time uh my trailing leg clipped the rail the first rail and so my 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 left leg went into the second rail and just buckled oh. under the 180 pounds of me at the time and uh yeah it just snapped her clean off so oh god oh and that, that actually kind of started a really good transition for me it was uh from cycling to photography <laughs> yeah yeah it really helped uh me look at things differently but, uh, <laughs> shortly after that i was uh i was forced out of my uh, job i hated at the time but something i did for 15 years and um and that's when i kind of started looking at photography more seriously and also when i started talking to uh, the guys at velocity um unfortunately the um, one of the owners, John Black, had uh, just passed away of cancer, and he was kind of the uh, the, the the salesman, um, and uh, they didn't really have anybody to fill his shoes, and so I sat down with my buddy Matt, who was the general manager, and um, we started talking about me going there, and it's worked out really perfect. At the time, I was considering what I had to do to be a full-time photographer and doing and considering doing things that I'd didn't necessarily want to do like like weddings or something weddings and family portraits yeah. and you know high school pictures and all this bullshit that i don't want to do sure. at all i have no desire which is um, some people some people like that but yeah. you, oh, yeah. you yeah yep so it, it's worked out great where um you know i'm officially as of this year i'm a I'm part-time at velocity but i have no intention on leaving um but just trying to find the the right balance between the two careers last year was a bit much working full-time and then shooting 20 races a lot of which require a fair amount of travel yeah um there was a couple months where i didn't really have downtime so um this year finding that perfect balance i mean i mean just just to schedule you to come here for the podcast has been a little <laughs> you difficult have, you have been the hardest one to schedule yeah. to, well oh. todd might be a Close second. Well, Todd's so far away, though. I mean, for you to live less than an hour away, and it's and we uh, can't. Even, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, has, he hasn't been on this yet. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Uh, yeah, we've had sure. beat him. So, what is your favorite type of event to shoot? I mean, you do you do a couple different ones. Some more like mountain bike centric. I mean, you do fat bike stuff now. Gravel rides. I mean, is it they're all just different, or do you do yeah. you prefer one? They're all different. I really don't have a preference. Um, and, and that's I'm not just trying to be diplomatic. Um, like I love Arcadia Grit and Gravel. Like I said before, it's just mm-hmm. uh, it, and it's really low key. Um, and this year they capped it at 350. And I'm not exactly sure why. I think they could get more people, but um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful area, beautiful race, mm-hmm. and it's and it's short. So I'm not out there all day. Um, you know, some of these longer races are they're fantastic, and watching people really push themselves is amazing. But, you know, for something like the Crusher, you know, starting at 6 a.m. and going until basically 10 a.m. the next day. No kidding. Um, you know, take a nap in there. But, um, and, you know, this isn't me complaining at all because I absolutely love it. I love the whole experience. But there's there's things I love about both. And then winter races, fat bike races are, I think, great from a, a photography standpoint just because of the, the contrast of, you know, a white canvas behind and 
it just i mean some of the some of the photos um like of Polaroid, i just I, I look back and i'm like man it's a shit ton of snow and it's just it's just beautiful to see it up there so have you ever been approached to do an event outside of michigan i've not is that something you're interested in i would that's something that uh I was talking with Scott Tankate recently about kind of the direction. We briefly discussed the direction of of my photography, and, and you know, I'm currently booked this year already for 20 races, and it's all Michigan, and it ranges from a you know 300 person race to um, 5,000 person race. Right. Um, and I've I've kicked around the idea of maybe trying to head out west for some bigger events. Um, I don't know. It just seems like I got a really good thing going right now. Yeah. Sure. I, I I would love to get out and um, kind of try my hand at, you know, some bigger races, Sea Otter or something like that. But Sea Otter is the same weekend as Barrier Bay, and I'll never give up Barrier Bay. Yeah. You've been talking a lot about Barry, but I wonder, and it might be Barry, it might be something else. Do you have a specific uh, favorite event that you like to shoot? Can't answer that. Okay. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> no, uh, no. Quite honestly, um, I don't. Uh, there's, there's good things about every race. Um, Which one do you hate? I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Please be specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no, they're they're all fantastic. I mean, I, I absolutely love what I do, um, and and I, I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to do it, and. I quite honestly, I, I I love them all, and I, I the promoters that have given me my opportunity, I I don't take that for granted one bit. Um, and I'm not just here saying that because there's a microphone in front of my face. I I absolutely mean it. I send out emails at the end of the year to race promoters. Just you know, thank you because uh, quite honestly, that sounds so fucking cheesy to say it out loud, but absolutely made a dream come true. Um, and something that I never thought I'd be doing. Yeah. I mean, that that is the dream. Do what you love. Yeah. That, that's a tough one to to do. Have you... It got really heavy. Yeah. It did get really heavy. Yeah. Sorry. Should we talk about beer again? Yeah. Maybe so, uh, uh, the other beer I brought yes. <laughs> uh, was this uh, Bullproof from uh, Odell's. Um, barely aged out, and I think this thing is like 12% <laughs> something. I figured, yeah. I was, Thirteen percent. Holy um, cow! But the yeah, heavy hit, a, the heavy hitters. It's a, it's a good one. I, I brought home uh, as much as I could from from that place because I love them. You know, oh. you go up there and everybody. It's, oh, I gotta go visit New Belgium, but um, I didn't go to New Belgium. I went straight to Odell's. You are now, even though they're like different facets of cycling. Like everything you do is about cycling now. It is. Do you enjoy that, or is it a little too? Like hobby and work. I'm is kind the of same. concerned about this because I'm going to be going this route soon. At times, it can be a bit much, which is another reason why I decided this year to um, kind of uh, hold back on the hours at Velocity, just so I could have some more time. So, so essentially, when I shoot a race, um, I usually have a day or two of editing, and then. There's stuff that goes on, like, you know, um, sharing photos on things and posting photos, whatever. Um, and so last year it was I would do all that, 
and then the next day go right back to the office and as fantastic as the world of cycling is and as much as i love it you 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 need need a break yeah you need a break you need to get away from it um and so i'm hoping this year that i'll have a bit more of that and again god i I hate it to sound like i'm complaining because i'm not i it's not coming across absolutely love what i do both photography and velocity so um but but again when you're if you're Just burning the candle in it all the time. If you're burning yeah. the candle at both ends, it doesn't matter if it's what you love. If you're too much time invested, it's going to get exhausting. Yeah, I mean the fact is, with the time off I have between, I usually choose to ride my damn bike. <laughs> I know you said you don't uh, necessarily love to nerd out about your gear, but. <laughs> Maybe there's a photographer that's listening that wants to know what kind of gear you use or how you approach that. It's it's not so much I don't want to nerd out. It's I'm fairly incapable of doing so because <laughs> I have quite literally figured out how to make my equipment do what I want it to do. And that's about it. Again, I'm not the techie guy. So essentially when I'm out shooting a race... I have um, two cameras. And, and back in the day, I just had um, like a 70 Mark II with a 70 to 200 2.8 lens, and that was my. That's what I shot everything with. What's the What's the brand? Uh, Canon. Okay. Uh, Canon. Canon. You got to be, gotta be specific. No. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, Canon body Sigma lens. Um, and the Sigma lens I bought because it's half the price of the Canon lens. But then I found. I really just love the image quality that comes out of the Sigma lens. It the autofocus can be really fucky, and I've lost thousands of shots over the years because Oof. of it. Um, but man, when it's on, it's really nice. So and that's what I shot historically for a really long time. And then at one point, I got a uh, I got a wide angle lens because I thought I wanted to get into uh, real estate gigs because I just thought it was a good way just to make money in between races. Um, It it wasn't a good way to make money. And I just had this (laughs) wide-angle lens, so (laughs) I just um, started taking that out with me and just because I want to try something different. So that's just one thing. I'm always trying to find something different, a different approach to photography, a different... You know, whether it be just an angle or equipment I use or whatever, um, I just I don't ever want to get stale. I don't want people to be like expecting what I'm going to turn out. I guess so. I started shooting things wide angle, and that's where like I would be laying on the ground right in front of where people are coming through, holding my camera right in front of their front tire, um, and it you know it's a, just a really cool dramatic effect. And I was just swapping lenses out in the field, um, which is kind of sketchy, especially when the elements um, aren't Ice favorable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I bought a, a, a second body, and this is where I can nerd out just a little bit. So, 7D Mark II is crop body, crop sensor. Um, so the 70 to 200 actually has a bit more reach. Um, so I went for the wide angle. I went with a 5D Mark III again, Canon. Um, and did a 16 to 35 2.8, which is what I shoot all of my wide angle stuff. So um, anytime I go out now, I have two two cameras on me, 
one that I'm shooting the telephoto stuff, which I, I still love that effect and it produces a, a much sharper image. The wide angle stuff is really tricky because you're trying to balance your shutter speed with your aperture when you're shooting wide you want to have um a, a, a larger aperture like you know shooting at f7 f9 which is going to create a darker image so you have to lower your shutter speed i'm getting nerdy, I'm getting <laughs> nerdy. No, you keep going so you have to lower your shutter speed which is then going to create a blurry image so um you know just it, it's really tricky so at, you know the 70 to 200 is always going to produce a much sharper image you know if you look really closely at the wide angle stuff it's it's not the sharpest but it just has that dramatic that the composition is always and that's like, because pretty, it's a moving cool. subject yeah okay yeah oh yeah yeah um, it's just really tough um and there's i think just very few photographers that do it well and i quite honestly would not consider myself one of those um i have been forever trying to perfect that how to get a good wide angle shot of somebody moving up to 20 miles an hour at a slow shutter speed with a high app like it's just well i mean the but, the way you're trying to do is essentially the human version of a nature photographer i mean the cyclist is that gazelle romping yeah. through for a national geographic and you know those guys take it 1500 photos to get one photo right and you're trying to do this with 3000 people every single person <laughs> and every single person's wanting it to turn out clear so i mean i mean and also you said you're not capable of nerding out that was a uh, 100% nerding out so <laughs> that was 100% yeah, yeah. yeah. that was fantastic supposed uh, to uh, photographers that that may be listening and i hope there's not any um are probably just like Oh, that's basic shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we wrap this up, I do have one final question for you. And uh, maybe it's not a question, but it's just I want to give you a chance to address the issue of people taking screenshots of oh, your photos. Oh, yes. Man. And I, I, so, and I know you probably don't want to sound like a, a jerk, but this is your the way that you make a living <laughs> yeah. and i feel like you need to be able to say what you want to say it, and this is one thing that's always really tough because i like to operate under the assumption that a majority of the time it's somebody that just doesn't know any better sure. um and somebody who thinks i don't know maybe they think that i'm getting paid buku dollars from race promoters and i don't rely on the income from people purchasing from my website which is completely false um i totally rely on people buying photos from my site to continue doing what i do um if it wasn't for that quite honestly i, I could not afford let alone the equipment but the time that goes into it um to to do what i do so uh screenshots uh, there are some people that blatantly do it that that know better but like i said i like to assume most of them don't um so it's 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 really tough, and there's no good way to police it other than the fact that uh, I'm friends with just about everyone that I take photos of on Facebook or Instagram, <laughs> and I see it every time. Yeah. I see it every time. And every time somebody does a, a screenshot, I see it, uh, and it just kind of uh, 
gets under the skin. Yeah, it, it, it's a little piece of my soul. Especially when dies. the person's on like a $8,000 <laughs> bike and you're like, so, come yeah, that's, on. <laughs> that, that, that's another thing. Uh, if, if, if I can be blunt is when I think about it, yeah, these are people that, you know, maybe not 8000 but people that are showing up on two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 bikes um, wearing $250 worth of spandex and paid $100 for their entry fee and spent $60 in gas and $200 for a hotel and meals and but 14.99 is just too much. That's just that's just ridiculous. Uh one of the one of the the greatest things I've seen circulating uh lately that I think really nails it is um in talking about what a photographer's work is worth the uh uh the story that they put out there just to kind of put it in perspective was um picasso or whatever like a famous artist picasso sitting at a cafe and the waitress walks up and says oh you're picasso that's that's fantastic uh do you mind just doing a little doodle on this napkin for me and she walks away and she comes back and there's a little doodle there and he says that'll be a thousand dollars and she says, $1,000, but it only took you 30 seconds to do it. And he says to her, no, it took me 30 years to get to the point where I could do that doodle. And that's worth something. Yeah. So there's, and people think that about a photographer too. Like I'm just, believe me, please, anybody out there, I'm not comparing myself to Picasso, um, first off. He just but, winked at the camera. He's totally, <laughs> totally compared himself but to Picasso. It's, it's not just about you know i hit a button on a camera i think that's sometimes people are like why the guy just hanging out with his buddies in the woods and hitting a button on a camera and it takes them two seconds why should i why should i pay for that it's like well there's a hell of a lot more that goes into that well a, a great way to even think about just the time that you're putting into it is all right everybody that was at Iceman. all right you were on course for two to three hours and think how miserable it was <laughs> Now think of the guy that has to be out there for every single wave out in the cold. And he, you're not moving, so you are not you don't have your heart rate at 180 <laughs> heating up. I mean, that's a long day to be on course. I do. Uh, actually, at, at Polar Roll, it's kind of funny. At Polar Roll, it was, it was, it was cold. And that's what I, I dressed as well as I could, but to keep warm, I was, because there was pretty big gaps in between riders, so I was literally running back and forth on the course just to get your just, heart rate up yeah just just to keep warm because you know yeah you just sit there and it's it, it gets You're really gonna freeze. it gets really cold um but uh back to the the ice man was really funny i remember somebody after i posted all my photos and um i went through eight thousand photos is actually what i posted so i probably went through closer to twelve thousand. but um i'm pretty sure i posted somewhere in the realm of eight thousand photos that i go through each one individually um and and make sure that it's it it's a decent photo um and somebody uh somebody commented wow five thousand racers at 14.99 a pop i should be a photographer and i was like man if even five percent of racers <laughs> bought a photo, you might have a point. <laughs> but, but not every, not every participant's buying a photo, and it 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 varies. You know, you might. I'm lucky if I get ten percent of people that actually, you know, buy a photo. But um, I mean, it's it's 
I, I don't mean to simplify it, but it's, I feel like it's benefiting or it's enhancing the experience of the race. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think people should feel proud to actually pay for that benefit or that enhancement. And um, I think that you enhance those races, Rob. And I appreciate that you're part of that community and you're part of this whole cycling community in Michigan. And I know that you have um, enhanced that experience for so many people. And so I encourage everyone to, uh, if you enjoy Rob's photography, or if you um, enjoy one of the photos that he took of you or one of your friends, or pay, your dog, or your dog, or dog. <laughs> pay yeah. the fourteen ninety nine. It's not that hard. People actually buy the dog photos. I, I crack up every time I see it. <laughs> I, you have no idea how tempted I have been to bring dog one of my dogs to races <laughs> just to like that slim chance I might yep. get a Rob dog photo. I've been thinking about putting together a uh, a race dog photo calendar. Oh, that. You could probably retire. <laughs> well, very. Anything else, Rob, that you want to promote or talk about? Or oh, I'm not here to promote anything. I'm just here to hang out and have beers. Okay. Well, we uh, accomplished that <laughs> to great extents. So, thank you, Rob, and uh, we will definitely see you around uh, this whole season. Well, thank you guys very much for having me. Appreciate it. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. Call our hotline at 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. Thank you, Rob, for coming to Lansing, and of course, thank you for the beer. Thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We'll see you in the mid-pack.